Well, I invite you to take the Bible that you've brought with you and find Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. We're beginning our time together as pastor and congregation by simply focusing on God himself. We talked last week about the desire to know God. We noticed the great request of Moses at 33:18, please show me your glory. Moses is asking to see more of God than he's already seen. And we talked about how that's a request that we can all make of God. To see more than we've seen so far of him. We focused on the desire to know God. The next subject that's presented to us as we step into chapter 34 is the cost of knowing God. That's our particular subject today. The cost of knowing God. Some who are gathered here in this room this morning and um, some who are watching online are on very intimate terms with God. You have come to know him really well. And I don't know anything about your story, but I know this. Knowing God well has come at a great cost to you. It's been costly to know him so well. We think about the 12 disciples, the, the original 12, and we think about this enormous privilege that they had to get to do life and be on such intimate terms with Jesus. Think about the incredible privilege that they had to know God in the flesh so well. But think about how much it cost them. The end of the road for most of these guys was crucifixion or violent death. And I just wondered this week, I just spent a couple minutes wondering if, if Peter and Andrew knew what the end of the road was, what the end of the road looked like when they said yes to following Jesus. I just wondered if they would have gone. Thinking about how much it cost them personally to know him. And what would I do if I knew what the end of the road looked like? We're not being morbid, we're just being real. We're looking at what we see play out in this relationship between God and Moses, and we're applying it to our own lives and our own relationship with God. And after noticing Moses' desire to know God better, we notice in the first four verses of chapter 34 that knowing God is costly. 
and it's costly in the three ways that are presented to us here. So that's our business this morning, is noticing the three ways in which knowing God better is costly to us. Our text is just verses 1 through 4 of chapter 34. Let's read those together as we begin. If you're able, in honor of God and his word, let's stand for the reading of the word, shall we? This is Exodus chapter 34, verses 1 through 4. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand two tablets of stone. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word and the consideration of your word to the benefit of your people today. For Jesus' sake, for we pray in his holy name. Amen. Please be seated. All right, we're asking the question, what does it cost us to know God? And the first thing that we notice in verses 1 through 3 is that we know God through great effort. One thing that it costs us to know God is great effort. Moses has a lot to do, doesn't he? He has a lot to do if he's going to see this magnificent self-disclosure of God. The magnificent self-disclosure of God is coming. That's verse 6. He's getting ready. He's getting ready to see it, but he has a lot to do. He's got some stone tablets to cut. That's what we see in verse 1. Cut for yourself two, two tablets of stone. That sounds pretty hard to me. He's got time limitations to work within. That's verse 2. Be ready by morning. He's got tablets to cut. He's got time limitations to work within. Not only that, he's got additional responsibilities. See verse 3. No one shall come up with you. Let no one be seen. Let no flocks or herds graze. God is putting Moses in charge of all these additional things. Make sure these things happen as well. For Moses, to have this desire fulfilled, to see more of God, it's going to mean taxing labor. It's going to mean exercising time management skills. It's going to mean managing other responsibilities well. 
In other words, there's a lot of effort to invest here in this business of knowing God, as seen in the opening verses of Exodus 34. And as we were talking about these things, you've probably noticed that all of these things are true for us as well. If we're going to see more of God, we're going to have to manage our time well. We're going to have to take care of additional responsibilities well. It's going to involve hard personal labor. Reading the Bible is hard. So hard. Sometimes we wonder, why is it so hard? Isaiah is hard. Ezekiel is hard. The minor prophets are hard. Revelation is hard. Even the books that we might not call hard still have passages and verses within them that Christians don't agree on. We just have to work hard to figure out what does this mean? Studying the Bible is hard work. Prayer is hard. It requires perseverance, energy, concentration. Hey, just managing our time so that we have time to spend with God is hard. So hard, especially at some seasons of life where other people are dependent on us for help and we can barely find a moment alone. And when we find that moment alone, all we want to do is sleep. All of these things take time and effort. So... Okay, it sounds like what's being preached is that one has to carve out time to be with God if you want to be a Christian. No, that's not what's being preached. What's being preached is you have to carve out time to be alone with God if you want to know God. If you want to know Him. To be on intimate terms with him. To see more, to see better, that comes at a cost. It requires great effort. You know, God could have given him the new tablets, couldn't he? But he didn't. Told him to go cut them yourself. God could have alleviated some of these additional responsibilities. He could have given him more time than just be ready by morning. I couldn't cut stone tablets in a month. And God says, be ready by morning. We're just recognizing that God doesn't do it all for us. Real work is required. Don't be discouraged by the effort it takes to know God. Don't be be discouraged by the hard work. Knowing another person, knowing any other person, is always the product of investment of time. And excavation of personality. 
Knowing another person is always the product of those two things. Investing time and excavating their personality from our time with them. And that's the way it is whether we're having coffee with our best friend or having coffee with our Bible. All right, we're talking about the cost of knowing God, and we're noticing first that we know God through great effort. Second thing we notice regarding the cost of knowing God is that we know God through humble obedience. That's verse 4. We come to verse 4 and we read, So? So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning. He went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand two tablets of stone. He did exactly as he was told, didn't he? Moses' obedience to the word given to him was necessary to his seeing more of God. Moses' obedience to the word given to him was necessary to his seeing more of God. He did not get to decide the terms upon which he would see God better and become better acquainted with God. God set the terms. Moses, you need to do this. And he did. We're calling that humble obedience. And I'm sure that the obedience felt very costly to him. I'm sure that obedience felt very costly to his body and to his whole person. The man's been cutting stone. And after he cuts the stone, he doesn't get much sleep. And then he climbs a mountain. Obedience to God was was costly to him, body and soul. And it will be costly to us too, body and soul. Your obedience to God, Christian, should feel like it's costing you something. Are you experiencing now in your life an obedience that really feels like it's costing you something? Maybe that cost is the denial of pleasure. There's a pleasure that you would like to have, but God has called it wrong, and so you have denied yourself that pleasure. And it's hard. And it's hard for you, especially when you see other people around you not denying themselves of that pleasure. That's a hard obedience. Maybe, maybe that cost is the abandonment of a lifestyle. 
That's what happens to Peter and Andrew. That's what happens to James and John. When Jesus calls them away with that command, come and follow me, they leave those fishing nets behind. It's all they've ever known. That's the only lifestyle they've ever known, and they walk away from it. They abandon that lifestyle because the word of command comes to them, and they leave. They say goodbye old lifestyle and all I've ever known. Is there a pleasure you need to deny yourself? Is there a lifestyle you need to abandon simply because God has commanded it? Our obedience will feel costly to our person, both body and soul. Maybe for you, costly obedience will be appearing weak in the eyes of other people. None of us want to appear weak. But the Lord Jesus has told us, turn the other cheek instead of retaliating. Pray for your enemies instead of trying to get revenge or hating them in your heart. And those things are costly to our spirit because we feel like we're losing. It's a humiliating feeling to sit in that environment and not retaliate and to pray when we feel like hating or getting revenge. We feel on the inside like we're, we're losing and we're at a disadvantage. If you were following Jesus in obedience, there will be times during your week where you will probably swallow hard and you may even lose sleep because you Feel the cost of that obedience to your own body and your own soul. That's how it feels when we obey. That's what obedience feels like when we're not getting what we want because God is getting what he wants. It feels costly and it's required if we would know God more intimately. If you will not walk in obedience to the revealed will of God, the simple commands of how to live and what to do and what not to do, if you will not walk in obedience to these things, you will not see the God who is. And there's a very simple reason for that. You will see a God of your own creation. A God who is okay with whatever you want to do. Such a God is not God. He can't be. You have become the God in the relationship. Determining right and wrong for yourself. You are left only with yourself and your servant, who you are calling God, while you dictate terms to him. Does that describe your relationship with God? Is that the dynamic that's present in your relationship with God? with God. 
Or, more positively, conversely, have you ever consciously taken Jesus' yoke upon yourself? You may be saved. That's wonderful. That's necessary. I I hope you are. I hope you're saved. But have you ever consciously taken Jesus' yoke upon yourself and learned what it means to walk in tandem with Jesus? That's his invitation to you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Have you ever done that consciously? That's my exhortation to you this week, is to consciously picture yourself and in practice say, I am yoked with Jesus. That thing I want to do that I know is wrong, I can't go there because I'm yoked to him. And if I try to go that direction, it hurts. It hurts my shoulders. It hurts my back. It hurts my neck. I can't go there because he's sending me this way instead. I'm yoked to him now. one thing to be saved. It's another thing to say, Jesus, I I take your yoke upon me today. Just save me from myself. Direct my footsteps because we're together. I believe that in Matthew 11 where you say, come to me and take my yoke upon you, that that wasn't just rhetoric, that that's real and true and practical and can happen in my life. I can take your yoke upon me. And walk in obedience to the Father. As you walk in obedience to the Father. It may be painful to body and soul, but we cannot become intimate with God otherwise. Except for humble obedience. Okay, knowing God is costly. We know him first through great effort. Second, through humble obedience. And finally, and most most costly of all, we know God through difficult experience. That's what we find at the end of verse 1. Great effort, humble obedience, difficult experiences. At the end of verse 1, there is a reminder of Moses' difficult experience. This is what we find there. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Which you broke. Moses had broken the first set of tablets. He didn't accidentally drop them. He smashed them on purpose. Why did he smash them? Moses had been trying to lead the people of God, and he's been angry with the people of God. He's been furious, so furious that he destroyed something. And what we want to notice is that before Moses experienced that feeling, God had experienced that feeling first. Flip back to 32.9, chapter 32, verses 9 and 10. I want to show you something there. 
Exodus 32, beginning in verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. God's anger burned hot against his people, so hot that it was on his mind to destroy. And then we come to 32.19. So now move down to verse 19, 32.19. Notice the identical language about Moses. And as soon as, this is Moses, as soon as he, that's Moses, came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. See, the identical language. Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. What happened here? God allowed Moses to experience in his own soul the same emotion and feeling that God himself had already experienced. The burning anger against an unfaithful, ungrateful, rebellious people. In other words, God allowed Moses a shared experience. A shared difficult experience. And that shared difficult experience was costly to his soul. We come to Numbers 11 and read that that experience was so costly to Moses' own soul that death was preferable to him than continuing to lead God's people. He comes to God with the request, please kill me at once. But if you consider this shared experience positively, Moses could also say truthfully, He could say truthfully, I know what it feels like to be God. I have experienced in my own soul the emotions, the passions of my God. That's a whole other level of intimacy with God, isn't it? To know by experience a measure of what it feels like to be God. Has God allowed you, Christian, a difficult experience? Have you experienced betrayal or rejection? Have you experienced receiving hate in return for love? 
being misunderstood, being vilified, being demonized. Have you been left alone? Have you been honest but not believed? Have you suffered the loss of someone that you loved dearly and been left weeping at their grave? All these has Christ himself experienced. Betrayal, rejection, hate in return for love, being misunderstood, being vilified, being demonized. He spoke the truth but was not believed. He stood weeping at the tomb of the one that he loved. Has God allowed you to have a shared difficult experience? Where he has allowed you to feel in your own soul the same emotions that were present in the Lord Jesus. If he has, you can say, I am intimate with my God. I know something of him now that others may not know. I know Christ not only through the scriptures, but I also know him by shared experience. Shared, costly experience. Moses knew God through shared, difficult experience. Now, it's not that we seek these things. We don't seek them. It's that when they come, by the grace of God, we try to take the perspective of the Apostle Paul who wrote in Philippians 3 that he counts everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. I have counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul placed Knowing God better, so high in the hierarchy of his life that it allowed him to even rejoice in his sufferings because of the value that it brought to him in terms of a greater, more intimate knowledge of God. He called that knowledge of Christ the thing of surpassing Not just that he could know Christ better to be a more effective minister. Not that just he could know Christ better in order to be helpful to someone else someday. No, it's just the knowing. Just the knowing of Christ. Not a utilitarian knowing. Not a functional knowing. A relational, a love relationship knowing. Whereby he could say truthfully, I know him. 
It's not that the trials and the losses that Paul experienced weren't hard, even excruciating. They were real and they were costly, but he counted knowing Christ to be of greater value than the keeping of the things that he lost. Now, what are we supposed to say to that? What are we to say when it's told to us that knowing Christ is of surpassing worth compared to the keeping of the things that we lose? How can a pastor say that to people? Some of us and some of you have losses that are so great and so personal and so painful. That it's almost incomprehensible to even think such a thought. That we're to regard this opportunity to know God through Christ as being the thing of surpassing value in this experience of life. What can we say? The only thing that I can think of to say (laughs) is that Jesus must be far more valuable than we even know. He must be so much more than we even imagined. His goodness must be so much better than we've known. His Consolations to people must be so much sweeter than we've known. If knowing him is the thing of surpassing value. And I know that there are many here and listening online who could and would testify both to the the hardship of what they have experienced. So painful. And I think many would surprise us, and they might even surprise themselves by confessing that as hard as that was, I wouldn't trade it. Because of what I have come to know in my God. They saw more than they'd seen. And it has been of surpassing value. Now listen, these are not things that I can convince you of. I can't convince anyone that this is true. This is only between you and Christ. And your story is not mine. And your story is not Moses, and it's not Paul's. And God bless you and keep you as you walk with him through a shared, difficult, experience. God grant you a more intimate knowledge of himself. It comes at a cost. But, lest we think that all of the effort in this relationship is on our side, And lest we spend too long dwelling on ourselves and think, my goodness, what this has cost me to know God. Verse 5, 
offers a correction to that thinking and sends us in the right direction. Because when we come to verse 5, which we're going to do next week, now we start to learn about what it has cost God in order to be known by us. What it's cost him to come close to me and you. That's next Sunday. Know God through great effort. Know God through humble obedience. Know God through even difficult experience. Amen. Heavenly Father, I I pray for your people today. For those uh, hearts longing to know you better. Pray that you would do that for them. Pray that as you take them on that journey, which will be hard, that you would not fail to show your goodness to them at every turn. Remind them that you're near. Help us in our study, Father. It's hard. Help us in our obedience, Father. It's so hard. Let your grace surround us and your Holy Spirit empower us for Jesus' sake. Amen.